Hello, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Charity. I am your host. Thank you for joining me on this first episode of the podcast. I am choosing to do uh, the book uh, The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. I can tell you I did attempt to read this a few years ago, but I kind of DNF'd it. When I think about it, I think about the time that at the that I didn't really like the bulliness of the aspect of the book, so I definitely like DNF'd it after reading so much more fantasy that is a lot harsher, <laughs> more critical. Um, read Zodiac Academy at one point, you know, if I can handle that, I can can handle the Cruel Prince. So when I found this at the library for a dollar at the, you know, like a library sale that they have, I decided to just, you know what, let me just try this once more. I see it all the time on Bookstagram. I need to do this. So with this podcast, I am going to go chapter by chapter, summarizing what happens in each chapter, giving some of my commentary and, and just have a good time with this. So basically, I will say this will have spoilers. So if you haven't read it, intending to read it, I wouldn't recommend uh, moving forward with this podcast until you have finished the book or you want to read along with me, go for it. Just be aware of the chapters. Or if you don't want to read this book, but just genuinely want to know what happens in this book, you're welcome. I'm going to do it for you. So in this book, we're going to go through the prologue and chapters one through five. So in the prologue, it's basically setting the scene. It starts a mysterious man just appearing out of nowhere on a lazy Sunday afternoon, and he's lifting his hand to knock. So it transitions to just three girls um, that are being introduced. Uh, Jude, who is dredging fish sticks with ke in ketchup, which I detest fish sticks with everything. You got Taryn, whose twin sister is napping on the couch. And then you got Vivian, who is a VV for short throughout the book. It's just watching TV. She uh, has been described as with furred ears, points, and Jude never really questions it. She just thinks that's kind of just how it is, how she is. Never really thinks anything of it. It's a lazy, boring Sunday afternoon for them until uh, the knock comes on the door and everything changes basically for them. Outside the door, uh, Jude discovers this mysterious man just glaring at her. So when when her mom came out to check up what's going on, she kind of goes pale. Like, you know, you see the, the, the change in her. So when Jude was looking at this mysterious man, she recognizes that he has an odd green tint to skin and his way, his lower teeth seem too large for him. In page three, he says... I doubted Belkin when he told me I'll find you here. Goes on to say that he found an earthly woman's bones, an unborn child is born, remains in the estate, mentioned that there were vows that were made with her mother. And she's like, I don't want to honor those vows. Jude's father now walks into the scene and he's basically carrying an axe, which is kind of on, you know, it's kind of normal for, for him to be doing that because he, he likes the history stuff of it. But he decides to just throw the axe and it hits the door frame. And as he's reaching up to grab that axe, this mysterious man pulls out a knife and just stabs him. Kills him on the spot. No mercy. And then when Jude's mother saw what happened, she tries running away. And this mysterious man just kills her too. Right there. Right in front of all those three girls. 
and he grabs uh, Vivi where he tells her that she is going back to her kind since she is the daughter and heir. So basically he's saying that Vivi is his daughter, his legitimate daughter, and she needs to come back. The man tells them to pack light and Vivi just pleaded with him not to take Jude Terran with, with them. And this guy, he's like, well, what's going to happen to them? They have no family, no relatives. And when you look and when Jude looks looking at it, she's like, we have no grandparents, no, no one to call on. So basically they would have nowhere to go because their parents are dead now. And page seven, Vivi just vows, I'll hate him for the rest of his life. And she You'll see throughout that she really does. And on page 7, Jude and her sisters wept the whole way to fairyland. I mean, you would be weeping too if you lost your parents right in front of you. So we go into chapter 1 on page 8, and I like how this was done. It says, In fairy, there's no fish sticks, no ketchup, no television. And when I read that sentence, I think of it's just something totally new for them, and it's totally different than what they're used to. So in chapter two, it's about basically 10 years later, they are getting ready for the fairy court ball, as they would say. You would start to get an insight um, what this pe the people in this world is like. So the person even doing person who's doing her hair is named Tatterfall, and she's described with having large, sharp nails and black eyes. She was the one who, I guess, rubbed stinking fairy ointment into Jude's eyes to see through glamours and then have her wear rowan berries to resist enchantments and tells her her stock uh, to wear her stockings inside out to avoid being led astray in the forest very far from watching tv and eating fish sticks i would say <laughs> tatterfall is consistently reminding jude that it is an honor to be treated as an equal to the gentry's children Normally in those circumstances, it usually doesn't happen that way since there are human. What, uh, basically, the gentry is the mysterious man that showed up. He felt like that since uh, Taryn and Jude was his human's wife's children, that he has a responsibility to take care of them. But in the fairy world, the folks, they don't believe in treating humans as equals. So when Jude and Taryn got treated like equals as if they were their direct children they're con you know this is like nothing that usually ever happens people i guess in the in that household is like you better remember that how gracious this is what's interesting is is that this gentry or they they call him madoc in this he actually teaches the girls how to fight he played games with them and gave them an education like they were his own kids I like how she describes the relationship on page 11. And despite myself, despite what he's done and what he was, I came to love him. I do love him. It's just not the comfortable kind of love. I see that as kind of a conflicting thing where she got the father relationship she couldn't get with her human father. So she saw that relationship and she saw and recognized him trying to be a father, but... That was the same guy that killed her parents. So it's kind of conflicting for her. So Jude and Taryn are adapting to their new life. Vivi, or Vivian, seems to be in a constant rage since she came back. You know, breaking things, screaming, and even pinching Taryn and Jude. She's um, very angry at her younger sisters only because of the fact that they're accepting where they're at. And they practically prefer to be where they're at. And she's wishing she can go back for the mortal world. Maddox did remarry. Um, her name is Oriana. And she seems to tolerate the human girls. 
They even had a son together named o Oak. Oriana warns June and Taryn, which they are well aware of because they've been in the court before, to not eat, drink, or and dance tonight. One of the reasons being that, as a human people, once they start dancing, they'll, they'll dance themselves to death, basically. And then on their way to court, Jude rides a pale green horse. And I have to admit, that kind of threw me off because I'm like, horses are green. So on to chapter three. So they are, everyone is now what they call the Palace at Elfham. To get there, they must ride between two trees, an oak and a thorn, and then straight into a stone wall. Kind of reminds me how the south gives directions. Go to the end of the street, take a ride at the oak, at the cow pasture, keep going straight. It basically kind of reminds me of that. Jude sees all the lavish folk attendees here, and she loves the pageantry. She, once again, she almost feels guilty for loving this because of being stolen from the mortal world. Basically, there is the elf king. They have to pay their respects to him. And then she goes, Jude goes on to describe the circle of influence. And there's basically three, it's made of a three eldest children. First off, it's Prin, Prince Belkin, firstborn circle of the grackles, known to drink themselves sick and numb themselves with poisonous and delightful powders. Prince Elowen, secondborn circle of larks. They value arts, known to have many mortals join that circle because of their musical talents. Jude feels like she'll never, ever make it into that, that circle. And then Prince Dane, third-born, Circle of Falcon Knights. Malkin belongs in the circle, and they only care about power. Jude hopes to be able to join that circle just because she is good at the sword, and that's how she would make her way in the world. Because in this world, you only make it through with skill or you marry, and she wants to make it with skill. So this is the part that kind of makes me wonder if this is going to be important later in the story while they were eating human fruit. They notice a tiny fairy girl with uh, cutting off money pouches throughout the crowd. Not sure why that was brought up in the story, but we'll see. And this is the part that gets interesting because you actually get introduced to the bullies or the in-crowd of the folk group. Prince Cardin, the sixth-born, arrives at the party along with his entourage, um, Valerian, Nicasia, her name is hard to pronounce, <laughs> and Locke. You see the start of the bullying when Valerian reaches out and grabs Jude's braids and snides at her, saying that no one has the hair that dull. I, I just, this is harsh. You also see how violent Prince Cardin can be when a boy refuses to bow to him and laughs at him. His wings get ripped off by Prince Cardin. So, pretty violent, you know, to see that at court. And it's on page 23. This is how they are. Someone gets in Cardin's way, and they're instantly and brutally punished. Driven from taking lessons at the palace, sometimes out of the court entirely, hurt, broken. The folks and the fairies are glad that, that many people had, there are many people ahead of him on the throne uh, because of just how violent he is. And you can see at this moment when Jude is caught staring Locke, that Locke might be the kinder one in the group. So in chapter 4, so you see what, what my doc is really like. He kind of goes into a story that how he likes bloodshed and craves it. And apparently he takes the, a hood that's dipped in the blood of his enemies and kept in a glass in the armory. And on a personal level, I rather like a, a painting or a, a vase of flowers or something. Sometimes uh, Jude comes and just stares at the hood and starts to, as she says, she starts to get kind of tired. She says she's tired of being 
powerless. A way that Jude uh, feels that will gain power is to uh, is to compete in the summer tournament so she can be granted knighthood and be taken as a personal guard. The, uh, the next day, uh, you know, after she's staring at that, Jude and Taryn head to what they call the lectures with the other fairy children or the other fairy subjects. When it comes to mealtime, the, again, the bullying again starts. This time it's Press Carden, and he decides to kick a whole bunch of dirt onto Taryn's and Jude's food. Page 28. Something the matter? Narcasia says sweetly, wandering up and draping her arm over Carden's shoulder. Dirt. It's what you came from, mortal. It's what you'll return soon enough. Take a big bite. And that's going to be the common theme throughout this book. It's just really reminding Jude that she's mortal. She's going to waste away. She's going to be gone. I applaud Jude for what she says next. She says, make me. No one really stands up to Prince Carden in a group before. They even try manipulating them into saying that they'll be friends if they eat the dirt-covered food. Also trying to bully her out of the tournament, mocking her that Jude would never be one of them. And you kind of see um, in the par same paragraph that Jude hates them because she wants to be one of them, but can't. It's a common thing that keeps happening. She just realizes she'll never be a part of these people. When Taryn and Jude leave, you see Taryn warning Jude that she'd just be afraid and basically stop making herself known to them. In chapter 5, a few pages, you see Jude's resentment for being mortal and desperately wishing to be part of the fairies. Because they're mortals, they would just rot away. Because they're constantly reminded of how mortal they are, she's just kind of envious, basically, of wanting to be part of the fairies. Taryn and Jude also go to speak on about the tournament on the way back home. And how Jews has gotten permission yet, haven't got permission from Monarch to compete, and she doesn't know what he'll say about it. So when the twins got home, Vivi was on a rampage again with her at home. And apparently uh, a cloud of sprites tore through her room and stole or destroyed all the human things she stored in there. Taryn finds strip a folder of Vivi and pink haired girl. It's a sign that Vivi has decided to fall in love. And I think it's very interesting that Jude's like mortal junk. She, you know, it's a very interesting that she used to be from that world, but she's like distanced herself, detached herself from technically where she was from originally. We go to dinner and Jude attempts to ask permission to join the tournament. Before she does, there is a discussion of the current elf king abdicating the throne and passing the throne to Prince Dane, the third born. Surprised that the king is leaving the throne because of his old, that he is old, a new king would be crowned at the autumn solstice. It is a kind of, it, it's kind of hint, hinted that having Prince Ding as the next king would be bad for Madoc. So there is no war, there's no need for general, thus no need for Madoc. So Madoc is basically, it's like, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna be dealing with that. Don't worry, our future is secured. And then now I'm kind of wondering, like, is he gonna start a war? So we'll see. After all the political chalk, talk jude finally with taryn's help brings up the subject and quickly got shot down she can't compete or no she can compete but can't wear the green sash to be a knight and to be able to be a knight you got to wear a green sash while you compete in the summer tournament madoc declares that she's not a killer she might be doing it on a whim and try after the coronation which is the autumn solstice and then he will consider I like how Jude's thought process was slightly distracted by the month of balls due to the new king being crowned. How she can't wait to have new dresses, be a knight in the circle and stand to be, um, by the king with her sword at her side. And Cardin off in the distance watching her as she's laughing and talking with the king. And I think she's kind of visualizing, I'm untouchable if I'm 
you know, if I get this knighthood and if I get this prestige and power, even Cardin, the one who picked on me earlier, cannot touch me. I think uh, Jude is a little miffed at what Maddock was saying to her. She believes that Maddock thinks she is weak. So to prove that she isn't weak, that she decided to go kind of like, well, I'll show you that I'm not weak. So when she went to her lessons the next day, Jude decided to get back at her enemies, basically Cardin and his group. She salted their food, which is very bad for people of the folk. And the hatred from coming from Cardin's eyes was so intense. And because basically she basically fought back. Page 43, she's being told by Taryn, why are you doing that? And she's like, she has right to be worried. I just declare ward. <laughs> I like it. So that is chapter uh, chapter one through five in the prologue. I am kind of really drawn to this book so far because I like the political intrigue in all this. And I do love uh, the main character kind of standing up to the, the bad the bad protagonist in the group. So I'm kind of going to see how this turns out, how she stands up to him, how he retaliates, if he does. So we'll see. Well, thank you. Next episode will be chapter 6 through 10. Uh, looking forward to reading with you.